Block is a very interesting and important question. Liz in Doncaster, I'm going to come to you in just a moment. But please can I introduce to you Associate Professor Kirsty Boising, Head of the Victorian Infectious Diseases Service, the VDIS, at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Professor, good morning and thanks so much for having us here at the Royal Melbourne. Thanks. Uh, good morning to you, Virginia, and welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Please reassure everyone listening this morning that the ABC is not taking up precious resources here at the hospital. No, no, we've got you in a corner that we don't use very much, so that's fine. Oh, you've made us feel so welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, you seem very calm. Your demeanour seems uh, quite good this morning. Seriously, how would you describe your state of mind knowing what you do about the threat of COVID-19 right now? Well, I think you put it very well about being alert but not alarmed. Um, I think um, our role here is to stay aware of what's going on and I think we're well and truly um, understanding that this is going to be a challenge to our health service um, and to the health sector more broadly and I think what we've been doing over the last couple of months is really um, focusing on preparedness um, and, and it's important to say that um, preparing for infectious diseases outbreaks or epidemics or pandemics is, or epidemics or pandemics is something that we are trying to do. Um, so this is about enacting the processes that we've been planning for for some time. Um, I think we're uh, perceiving this particular challenge as being very similar to an influenza outbreak mm. but or an influenza epidemic but with much larger numbers and, and that's really been the challenge for us in our preparedness plan and planning. Tell me about the numbers. I know you must be working on and modelling different scenarios. So take me from reasonable scenario to worst case. What are the sets of numbers you're talking about? It's almost impossible to put a finger on the numbers. So we're working on ranges. We're working on mild, moderate and severe scenarios. Um, and I think it's really about understanding, uh, starting with what's already happening now, increased numbers of people presenting for assessments in our emergency departments. Mm -hmm. How much can we cope with within the normal workflow of our department here? And at what point does staff feel that they're stretched beyond what they're able to, to usually cope with? And when would we move off to the, the next tier of workflow? And, and indeed, we've already done that. So we've had a, a, what we call an assessment clinic set up in parallel to our emergency department. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a moment. I went and had a look at the assessment clinic, and that was, that was really interesting. So at the moment, you, you've gone from your, your very first level preparedness up to the second. That's right, yeah. yes. And, and, and so we have an understanding of how many patients we can cope with in that particular assessment clinic, which might be um, in the order of, let's say, 20 to 30 patients at a given point in time. If we exceed that capacity, we think through where the next location is that we might stream patients to. Okay. Um, and as the, the process escalates, we're thinking about what other activities in the hospital could be scaled back to make additional space for these patients um, within our normal wards upstairs. Just to let you know, and just to let you know, and all our listeners this morning, we've just got a news update here from the health minister Jenny McCarkus. Some breaking news: that a tenth person in Victoria has tested positive for COVID-19. The man had recently returned from Iran. He's recovering at home, and the minister has again urged against panic buying. We're going to keep repeating that this morning because, honest, honestly, the response, particularly in relation to certain products, is really quite ridiculous. But a tenth person in Victoria has tested positive. Does that mean anything in terms of the, the scale that health professionals like you think about? Uh, one additional patient um, 
it, it's not going to make a great difference today mm -hmm. to where we are. We're expecting more patients, absolutely. Um, and, and I think what we're watching is the epidemiology of these patients. So hearing that this is a patient who's arrived from Iran fits with what we understand the current epidemiology is. Um, so it's, it's following a logical pattern and it's not deviating from that pattern. For example, starting to see infections that you can't easily explain. Absolutely right. So that's, that's a, an, another level yeah. that we think, start to think about things differently when local transmission occurs and we can't understand the chain of, of contagion that might have led to that local transmission. We have two person-to-person uh, -person transmissions that we're aware of in Australia. Yes. And uh, that still conforms to that pattern. You're not at a state yet of thinking, how on earth does that happen? That's right, that's right. There's, there's an understanding of how that transmission probably happened. Yeah. And so we're, we're still able to, we think, identify people who are most at risk and, and, um, and deal with them in a, in a particular way that's different to how we deal with other people presenting to our emergency department. There's a particular language that officials like you use in this situation, and you used that one of the key words for me before, which is uh, challenging. Mm. When you say challenging, mm. that this will be challenging to mm. the health services, to hospitals, Hospitals like yours, and let me emphasise, the Royal Melbourne is not the only hospital as part of the response network. If you suspect the response network, if you suspect anything, please go to your local hospital. When you use the word challenging, what do you really mean? Yeah. I, I think it's about saying to our staff, we know things are going to get tough in the next couple of months and, and we really need to band together and work together and, and let's prepare for it. Let's start thinking about it now so that we're not caught unawares. Um, and I must say the response of our staff has been extraordinary. Mm. Um, they've been fantastic. And, and I think it's not just about our staff, it's about talking to the community as well and, and saying, look, Please understand that, that the health service may well be under pressure over the coming few months. Yes. Um, and so we are trying to look at opportunities where we might need to scale other things back, other non-urgent activities, and we would be hopeful that the community would be understanding about that. Let's run through a few quick numbers just to paint a picture of the situation as it stands this Wednesday morning mm -hmm. and as, as you're experiencing it at the Royal Melbourne. How many presentations in the last couple of days have you had uh, mm -hmm. of suspicious mm -hmm. around suspicions around COVID-19, mm -hmm. and how many have tested positive? Mm. Um, so at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, like, the latter one is easier to answer. We've had two patients here who've tested positive. Um, fortunately, neither of them have been seriously unwell. One has required a period of time in the ward. The other has been well enough to be managed at home. Um, the numbers of people presenting varies from day to day, and there are, are events that happen that lead to what we would call spikes in presentations. What are those events? Well, I think the most obvious one that springs to mind is, is when the first case happened in, in Victoria, and we had a a plane load of people who'd landed and that, that particular person mm. had been on a plane. So it was to be expected that people who had connections to that plane would present and ask for screening. Um, so on that particular weekend, I'm aware we had in the order of, I think it was about 38 people presenting. Um, so uh, it, it goes up and down from day to day there. Um, but I, I think it's... Um, I th I think uh, yesterday, I think we had 25 was my recollection, but Mark and Susan would be better to explain that to you. I think you're talking to them later in the day. I'm speaking to a number of officials here at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, and they're going to carefully, painstakingly take you through what's understood about the virus, what it does, what it doesn't do, who it affects, treatments, and also the numbers and the nature of those presentations. So as someone who works in the infectious diseases service, is this the sort of 
uh, infectious outbreak that you just work and prepare for? Is your is your whole life, your profession, just just directed towards waiting for this thing? No, we do lots of other things <laughs> as well. Um, so we're very busy when outbreaks like this aren't happening as well. So so my team would look after people with pneumonias and and um, skin and soft tissue infections and those sort of common problems as well. Um, but it is um, important to say that yes, we do think about this all the time, and yes, we do do exercises in preparation for this. So to give you an example, we would every year do a desktop exercise of some sort of outbreak. We would do walk-through exercises and simulations. So, really? So, yeah, yeah, simulations where patients, we would have um, people acting as though they were patients and coming in on trolleys and, and we would all practice um, the physical activities that we would need to do around caring for patients with some of these um, you know, infections of, of high consequence. The person who presents to the emergency department who is concerned that they may have symptoms <coughs> excuse me, of COVID-19, what's the immediate response? What, what physically happens in that moment? Are they crash sackled to the ground and immediately no. wrapped in gauze and bound up in, no. in, a, in, a, in a, a space suit? Uh, no. So he, here at the emergency department, the first thing to say is when you walk in the front door, you'll see a lot of signage asking people to alert staff um, from the moment they enter. Um, and whether they might have concerns about um, uh, being exposed to COVID-19 and in particular, in particular asking them about recent travel to countries of concern. Mm. Um, when they present to what we call the triage desk, the first port of call, um, they'll be asked questions by those nurses around travel and, and um, around their symptoms. If numbers are high, we sometimes also have a concierge, which is a person who greets people at the door and actually asks that question even before they reach the triage desk. Mm. Um, if a person is identified as potentially being at risk, a mask, they'll be asked to wear a mask and they'll um, be moved from the general waiting room across toward our assessment clinic, um, which keeps them away from the general um, groups of patients with other conditions in the waiting room um, and allows us to streamline their assessment so that we can move them through much more quickly than if they had to wait for long periods of time while staff were dealing with people with other conditions. I've got some really great questions here, Professor Kirsty Busing. Would you be prepared to take a couple of calls with me? I'll have a go. <laughs> <laughs> These are the questions that only you can answer. I certainly can't. But Liz in Doncaster has been patiently waiting since the start of the program. Liz, good morning. Good morning. You've got a question about the virus itself. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Recognising that viruses and germs are part of our environment, but this is a new one to us, and the fact that there's been so much speculation about it, and the formal advice about practising good hand hygiene, do we mm -hmm. yet have an understanding how long the virus is able to survive and be dangerous outside the body on surfaces like doorknobs or handrails or whatever? Liz, Liz, it is a terrific question and it is very well asked, might I just say. If you like a second career in journalism, we can be in touch. That was perfectly phrased. Uh, go ahead, Professor. What's the answer to that? It's a good question and I, I would have to answer it by saying we're not certain yet. Really? Um, okay. I, I, think, I think this is such a new this is such a new infection that we're extrapolating a lot from what we know from other viruses. And what do other viruses tell you about their life outside? Um, not terribly long um, in the space of hours, but, but um, it can be variable. And I think I, I, 
I wouldn't um, feel confident to actually give you a, a direct answer on this yet because I think we're still You're gathering still information. Yeah. Okay. Hence the, the wipes and the yes. hand because hand-to-hand -hand contact, if someone has it, mm. well, that's a, that's a direct kind of uh, mm. intervention, isn't it, immediately? And uh, just very quickly, I know we have the Minister waiting, but John in Ascot Vale has a question as well. John, can you ask a question super fast just so we don't keep the Minister waiting? Uh, yeah, I had, I had more than one, but here we go. Um, have, there been any, have there been any discussion with um, a role for the military in setting up, say, field hospitals if it's required to take some of the pressure off the main hospital? Good question. Thanks, John. Yeah, it, uh, it's in the mix of options, um, and it's probably yeah, a discussion that happens a lot higher than, than my level, um, if I'm honest with you. Um, but I, 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 I am aware that that is something that is thought about. If someone is isolated at home, does that mean everyone living in their home should isolate, self-isolate as well, or can they come and go? No. So, so if so, you're saying if, if somebody's diagnosed as being positive and they go home, yes. then then the people around them are, are called contacts, and and there are specific instructions about contacts and, and how they should limit um, their activity in terms of um, social distancing, um, for example. Okay. So if this happens to you, your doctors, your treating doctors, the hospital will advise you yes. on what happens to the rest yes. of your so family. There are printed instructions that people are given. They're, yep. they're, they're designated in a particular category and yep. they're told what, what the instructions are. And it's important to say those instructions could change over time. Um, so we need to stay abreast of what the public health information is. Um, but, but we are giving consistent information as directed by the department. And just quickly and finally, what have you learnt about the virus so far? As a specialist in infectious, as a specialist in infectious diseases, what surprised you about this virus? Um, I think... Uh, what surprised me is, I guess, the rapidity of how quickly it appears to have transmitted in the countries overseas. Now, that could have been because there was unrecognised transmission happening for some time, um, particularly in China. Um, but, you know, what we're hearing about about from South Korea and from Iran, it, it really is taking off very quickly. And, and that's um, probably related to the transmissibility of this particular virus. I could talk to you about it all day, Professor, but I'll let you go. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> all right, no worries. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Professor Kirsty Busing, who's the head of the Victorian Infectious Diseases Service, the VDAS, at the very busy Royal Melbourne Hospital from where I'm broadcasting this morning. We're in the middle of the emergency department here, ED, where you present when you've suffered some trauma or you're very, very unwell. You'll hear the sounds, the noises, and I'll see the sights and I'll relay them to you of a busy Melbourne emergency department right through this morning until 11 o'clock. Coming up next, the